Good morning. I'd like to give you a warm welcome as we meet to worship our God, whether we're here in the building or whether you're joining us online. Before I pray, just one notice. It's just a reminder about Thursday evening, we have our anniversary services where Dan Jarvis is coming to preach, but it's at 7 o'clock, so not 7.30. It's at 7 o'clock on Thursday. Let's just commit our time to, to God in prayer. Almighty God, we ask that as we join together to worship you, that your Holy Spirit would be among us, that he would be helping us to praise you and to learn from you. And may we not be distracted by anything that could take away from worshipping you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know how you have approached the service this morning. I don't know um, what attitude you have. But the, the title today is Listening to God. Listening to God. So have you come ready to listen to God? Are we like Samuel that said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And we're going to sing our first song, which is a Christian's daily prayer. As morning dawns and day awakes, to you I bring my need. O gracious God, my source of strength in you I live and breathe. And let's stand with the music. going to have our, our Bible reading now and we're going to read Nehemiah 8 and after we've had the Bible reading Luke is going to do the children's talk so after the Bible reading children come up and Luke is going to do the children's talk so we're Nehemiah 8 which is page 403 in the church Bibles And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square, 
before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand. And Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifted up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akhub, Shabbatiah, Hadiah, Maaziah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Haniah, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths for from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Right, kids, do come down. Well, good morning. Now, I'm going to start <coughs> with a question. So you might have to rack your brains a bit. Can you tell me some of the things that Jesus says he is or that people say things about Jesus, things that he's like? Can you think of anything? Go on, Flynn. He's like a lighthouse. Brilliant, yeah. And what else? He's the, he is the son of God, yeah. Any other like, objects that you can think of? 
Jesus says, I am a rock. Yeah, Jesus is like a rock. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry? Bread of life. Yeah, Lydia? Oh, what, sorry? A door. Yes, well done. Him. He's like a, a truth, yeah, like a vine. Yeah. Like a, a light. Yeah, brilliant. Have you got another one, River? like a, a bulb yeah like a light bulb shedding light into the world yeah brilliant well yesterday uh so i've got a few up there i think we got all of them a door bre- uh, bread a rock oh the way that's a footpath there a shepherd and a lamb as well those things also describe jesus but yesterday now one of you have already got <clears throat> have got the thing that i'm going to talk about i got taken on a boat trip which was a real treat and we went out on a really fast boat trip and the wind was blowing in our hair. We had to hold our hair in place. We didn't want it to, or some of us didn't. Our family had to hold on to the hair, didn't want it to blow out of place. And uh, it was a, we had a really great time. We went down from Eastbourne and we went six miles out. And do you know what we saw? Guess what we saw, if you weren't on the boat. We did actually see a dolphin, yeah, but that wasn't what I was gonna say. <laughs> we saw this. Any idea what that is? It is a lighthouse, brilliant. Quite an unusual looking one, I thought. And that was six miles out. That's quite a long way, isn't it? The water was very deep there. Why did you think it was there? To guide the boat so they know where they're going. That's right. So they're actually going to, they've stopped using it now, but that was because they've got good sat nav now. But they used to say, oh, there's the light on the right. Yep, we know we're going on the right, in the right direction. And then a bit further on, we went and we saw, what's that? Another lighthouse, two lighthouses. That's a very different looking lighthouse though, isn't it? And can you see, so that's at Beachy Head. Have you, who's been to Beachy Head? Yeah, I think most of you have probably been to Beachy Head. And so why do you think that lighthouse is there? Yeah, that's right. So can you see how close it is to the, to the cliff? And so, uh, the, so the lighthouse is there with a big shining light in the dark or in the fog to stop any boats going too close and crashing into some of the rocks, which would have been a disaster. What would have happened if it crashed into the rocks? You could drown, couldn't you? The boat would break and, yeah, it would be an absolute disaster. Well, as we were going along, I thought, Jesus is like a lighthouse, as you said, Flynn. So why do you think Jesus is like that lighthouse? He's the way, isn't he? He guides us. And so how do we know, when we say Jesus guides us, he's not in front of us walking and we follow him. How does Jesus guide us? He does guide us through life. And how, and how does he do that? What do we use to know what, how Jesus wants, wants us to go? We pray, yeah, and we use the Bible as well, don't we? We've got, we've got it all written down and we ask Jesus to guide us and so that we know we're going in the right direction, so, that we, so we live our life in a way that we should. And how is Jesus like this lighthouse? What do we think? Remember, this one was the one to try and stop the boats crashing into the rocks. How might Jesus be like that lighthouse? Yeah, that's right. We do. So it saves us from, yeah, we, we, we pray that God will physically look after us, but also our souls will be protected and that we won't crash, as it were, in our souls and, and, and uh, make bad decisions. So we'll keep away from the rocks. So like the ships keep well away from the cliffs in the dark and the fog because they can see the light. That we also know that Jesus will keep us safe. And so the lighthouse keeps them safe, doesn't it? Because they, they avoid the area. And Jesus does the same for us, and that he, he leaves in, in the Bible ways that, we sh- ways that we should live so that we can keep away from, uh, keep away from danger. And uh, so we've got a, a nice little Bible verse here from Psalm 27. And can someone read that for me? Do you want to read that for me, Harvey? Well done, good reading. Yeah, so the Lord is like a light, and he's the one that saves me. So like the boats are saved from crashing into, into the rocks because of the lighthouse, that's like Jesus is for our life as well. So next time you're on holiday and you see a lighthouse, or next time you're down at Beach Head and you see a lighthouse, you can remember that Jesus is like a lighthouse protecting us and guiding us so that we can make good decisions in our life and live for him. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for listening, and uh, yeah, you can go back to your seats.
Thank you, Luke. We're going to have our, our next hymn, which is Be Thou My Vision. And, uh, O Lord of my heart, naught be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Let's stand and sing as the music starts. And bow before our God in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we come before you as the sovereign God who has all things under his control. We come before you as our creator. And as we look around in the world that you have created, we can see your handiwork. We can see the way that it points to your power, the way it points to your majesty, the way that you see beauty in what you have created. And we come to you as our creator. We come before you as the king of kings and we are your subjects. We pray that you would help us to bow down before you. Lord, and those of us who know you, we come to you as our Father. And what a privilege that is. That your Spirit has given us that sense of knowing you as our Father through adoption. Lord, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his obedience, his willingness, the love that you both had as he came to this earth to make that way possible so that we, your creation, who have done wrong, who have offended you, who have 
not lived according to the way that you wanted us to. Lord, that we can be forgiven. Lord, that we can have that peace restored between us and with you. And we thank you for what the Lord Jesus was willing to do, the way he was willing to take that punishment of the cross. Though he didn't deserve death, though it's us who deserve to die, Lord, he was willing to take it. And Father God, we pray that each of us would come in faith, would come trusting that his death on the cross was for their sin. Help each of us to seek that forgiveness through you so that we can have that peace with you. And Father God, we ask that if there's any here who do not know you, if there's any here whose hearts are, are hard and stubborn and they're not interested, we pray that today you would speak to them. We pray that today they would be listening to your voice. We pray the Holy Spirit would be working in their lives. In their lives. We pray that you would be merciful and that you would be gracious to them. Lord, we thank you that you are in heaven above. Lord, you look down and you see us. And Lord, and your heart extends out to us. Lord, we pray for those who are in authority over us. We pray that they would lead us in a way that is wise and it is for our good. We pray that you would give them wisdom. Lord, whether that's our government, whether that's our police force, whether it's our parents, whether it's teachers, Lord God, may they lead for our good. Lord, we thank you and we pray for those who care over us. Lord, just as you care for us. Lord, we pray for them, whether they be grandparents, whether they be parents or uncles or aunts. We thank you for them and we thank you for the memories of those who did care for us. And Lord, we are instructed in your word that we can cast our cares on you because you care for us. And Lord, as you look down, you see each of our lives. Lord, we pray for those who have got stresses at work. We pray you'd help them there. We especially commit Tim to you and help him with the, the threat of redundancy. And Lord, we pray you'd help him to um, and Amanda and the family to commit their future to you. Lord, we pray for those who are recovering from um, operations. We pray that their recovery would go well. We pray that they would continue to strengthen and to get better. And Lord, any others who have health issues, Lord God, we pray that you would help them, that they would find strength and comfort in their difficulties. Lord God, we pray for others who have other types of stress. Help them to look for you for peace in their difficulties. Lord, we thank you for um, the times that go well. And Lord, we pray that our hearts would be going to you in thankfulness. Lord, when we seem to be free of these troubles, we know that trouble is not far from any of us. But when things are well, we give you the praise and the honour and the glory Lord God we want to commit John and Esther to you we want to thank you for them Lord we pray for them we pray that you would be with them we pray that you would continue to uphold John as he passes to us and we pray you would strengthen him in that difficult role but Lord as they're on holiday we ask that you would give them a time of refreshment Lord both physically mentally and spiritually. Lord, and may they grow closer to you over this period of holiday. Lord God, we um, commit Mark to you as he brings your word to us. We ask that the Holy Spirit would be moving amongst us and that we would be listening to you as you speak to us. And may our hearts be open to that willingness to follow you and to obey you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've got our, our next hymn, our next song, which is More About Jesus Would I Know. So not just on a Sunday, but during the week as well. Are we reading our words, our Bibles, listening? More about Jesus would I know. 
Let's stand and sing as John leads us music. As I uh, look around this morning, I can see quite a lot about you. I can see what you're wearing, at least those of you in the room, maybe not those of you online. I can see who you're sat next to. I can see how you've done your hair, or maybe haven't, as the case may be. But what I cannot see, as Martin said as well, at least not unless it's really obvious, is your attitude to listening this morning. But imagine this. They've created a new device, as they seem to be doing a lot at the moment, and there's a small little metal disc, and you place it on your heart, and it's packed with sensors. And uh, when I put on these glasses, it uses the power of augmented reality to put a little number above your head that shows your attitude to listening to God rating. So it's out of 100, and uh, 100 is... So I cannot wait to hear what God's got to say to us. Insatiable, can't get enough of it. That's 100. Zero is where you're already wanting to be at the end of this service. You don't want to be listening. You're thinking, I'd almost rather be listening to anything else. That's zero. So imagine I put on these glasses and the number pops up above all of your heads. What number would I see? Well, maybe you're thankful that they're just cheap cycling glasses and that I can't see that number. But I wonder what it would be. This morning, we're going to look at a group of people who are up near the 100 mark. They so want to hear God's word. In fact, in a few minutes, we're going to find out that they were involved in about a five-hour service. And it's not just because the preacher was going on and on and on and no one can get him to stop. It wasn't that he forgot his watch and just hadn't realised quite what the time was. It was that they were so keen to hear what God was saying to them. So imagine I said this this morning. I said, I've got quite a bit to get through this morning. 
But it's really important, so we're, we're hoping to be done at about quarter past four. Well, I wonder how you'd feel. Maybe you'd start worrying about your dinner in the oven. But if you didn't have to worry about that, how would you feel? See, the people that we're going to look at today were really hungry to hear God's word. And as we look at Nehemiah 8 in a bit more detail this morning, I think most of us, if not all of us, will be seriously challenged by what we see here, by their attitude and by their keenness to hear what God is saying to them. Now, for different and um, very good reasons, like baptisms and Sai coming down, our series in Nehemiah has been a bit broken up. Uh, but hopefully, uh, those of you who have been here can remember the, the rough sort of story. You might remember that uh, Nehemiah has been in captivity and exile, uh, but he hears the news about Jerusalem, that Jerusalem has been uh, destroyed, that it's in ruins, and his heart is stirred up. Because he knows that there's a link between the state of Jerusalem and God's name and God's fame. And so when Jerusalem lies in tatters, well, it's like God's name is being dragged through the mud. And he's stirred up, and so he asked to go back, and he rebuilds the wall. And on the 28th of May, if you were here back then, we saw the wall being completed in record time. But now, the people themselves need to be built up. They need to be built up in knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he says. And they really don't waste much time getting started. So just a few days after the wall is completed, when you can imagine them feeling absolutely exhausted and thrilled in equal measure, they come together to hear what God has to say to them. We're told right at the end of chapter 7, the chapter before, that this is the seventh month. So in our calendar, it's about September, October time, if that helps you get your bearings a little bit. And the year is 444 BC. So nice and easy to remember, 444 BC. So let's have a look uh, together at what we can learn from this situation here in Nehemiah 8. And firstly, we're going to see listening to what God says. And we're going to see in verse 1 that the people were united they were united. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So all the people gather from the various towns where they've been and they gather in Jerusalem. It's possibly around 100,000 or so people here. So this is a huge gathering of people in this city. But did you notice they gather as one man? They're united. They've come with the same purpose. They get Ezra the scribe to basically read out to them the, the bit of the Bible they do have. They don't have the whole Bible, but they've got the law that God gave to Moses. And did you notice that? That it's the people requesting that Ezra reads the law to them. It's not like Ezra is saying, come on, come and sit down. You need to be listening to this. And everyone's like, do we have to? And he's, come on, sit down. This will be good for you. No, no, the people are saying, Ezra, please teach us. This huge crowd come together with one purpose. They want to hear what God is saying to them. They're united in their request. And I wonder, is that our desire as a church? Do we come here on a Sunday morning and a Thursday and any other times we might come here united in that desire to hear what God has got to say to us? Could we be called Forest Fold United? Be good, wouldn't it? Well, also, verse 2, is everyone. It's everyone. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Everyone's there. Well, at least everyone who can understand. You've got men there, you've got women there, you've got children there. One of the things I love about this church is we've got a whole range of people. We've got men, we've got women, we've got children, we've got older people. And lots of you can understand what's being said. You know, we might have a few toddlers here that struggle a little bit. But on the whole, all of you can understand. And it's important that we gather together to hear God's word because God wants to speak to all of us. God wants children to understand who he is and what he says. In fact, Deuteronomy 6 is quite a famous passage for children's workers and youth workers because it talks about parents and those leading Teaching diligently the laws of God to your children. That's why we're so passionate about children's and youth work here at Forest Fold. 
Because God wants us to be teaching children his commands about how to live. Just as a side point, I love it when you get kids afterwards in primary school who have been listening and understanding what you've been saying. So everyone is there. And verse 3, they're attentive. They're attentive. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. Well, I said it was a long service, didn't I? Early in the morning till midday, probably about five hours. And yet they're not falling asleep. They're not daydreaming. It says, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were listening in a way that showed that they were taking it in. There's a big difference, isn't there, between uh, someone listening and someone really listening. And we can tell, can't we? You get it in families sometimes where someone's chatting about something that's happened to them that day. And I'm guilty of this before I go any further. But someone's sharing something about their day and they're explaining it and they're getting an all right, a bit of a nod. Um, okay. And uh, you realize that they're not listening at all. They've clearly got something else on their mind. They're totally distracted. They're giving all the right signals, but they're not listening. Well, these people are not like that. They're attentive. Could your listening in church be described as attentive? Listening? I know it's, it's tricky sometimes, isn't it, if you've got a toddler with you. That sometimes there's uh, circumstances going on that just makes it difficult. But is that what you aim for? Do you come along with an aim to listen? With an aim to be attentive? To do the best you can? These people were for five hours. What are you giving your attention to this morning? Are you allowing God to have that priority? Or are you allowing other things that just really don't matter to dominate your, your mind space? Then in verses 4 and 5, we see it was purposeful. Purposeful. They'd built a wall. They'd actually done a little bit more building as well. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood 13 others. So they built this big platform that they could stand on, a whole group of them, so that the people down below could see and could hear Ezra speaking and reading the law to them. There's purpose here. And it's high up. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. See, the word of God is being given priority here. It's given center stage. It's important that everyone can see, everyone can hear what's being said. And there's symbolism here as well, I think. that The word is from above them. That They're placing themselves under God's word. They're submitting themselves to whatever God is going to say to them. Now, we might not have a massive platform that loads of people can stand on, especially one that's not higher than the gallery. But, but are we placing ourselves under God's word? When we come on a Sunday morning, are we submitting ourselves to say, I'm going to listen to what God says and I'm going to obey it? Well, also, they came with reverence. Verse 6, they were reverent. They have an eagerness to hear, but they also have a great sense of reverence before God. Some of us use the word reverence more than others. It's a deep respect and a love for something. A deep respect and a deep love for something. And they understand that God is holy and awesome and worthy to be worshipped. So they're reverent. And Ezra blessed the Lord, this is verse 6, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now different churches and different cultures have different ways of showing reverence. Here they lift up their hands and they bow their faces to the ground. They, they, the whole assembly has this deep reverence as they come to worship God. And I wonder this morning, do you have a, a reverence for God as you come? Do you have that deep respect for God as we come to listen to him? A sense of worship as you're walking up the the Car park, this morning were you thinking we're going to worship? Did you have that sense of awe? A sense of our feebleness and his authority? We should do. 
If we understand God properly, if we see properly who he is, we should have that sense of reverence and awe. But also, and lastly, under this heading, understanding. Understanding, verse 7 and 8, and then 13 as well. And Jeshua and the other 12 Levites, notice that I haven't read them out because the names are complicated, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the meaning so that the people understood the reading. So everyone stays where they were, but it seems like there's these 13 Levites, and they basically sort of disperse themselves amongst the crowd. And it's like they have these kind of small group studies within the crowd, although they probably would have been quite big group studies, but in, in the, the crowd. And their key aim as they do this is to help everyone understand what's going on. If anyone hasn't quite understood something, they explain it to them. And you know, as we preach and as we teach, that's what we long for. We want you to understand what the Bible is saying. That's our aim as we plan. And of course, you know, there are some things that we're never going to get our heads around. So, for example, if we're talking about the power of God, or we're talking about the sovereignty of God, there are aspects of that that we just we cannot get our head around. But, you know, God gave us his words so that we could understand it. It's not meant to be a mystery to us. It's meant so that we can read it and understand if you don't understand something in the service, come and speak to us afterwards. Come and chat to us. What did, what did you mean by that? If you're enrooted, are you in Sunday school? Are you in a Bible study? Ask your teacher. Ask the, the Bible study leader. You know, sometimes some of you ask me questions. Maybe it's about a service or, or a Bible study. You say, I, I just didn't quite get that, but can you explain that? I, you know, it's, it's brilliant that there's a, an attitude of I want to understand not of just, oh, well, never mind, we'll move on. But uh, I, w- I want to understand what was being said. And we-, we hope the preaching helps you. That's what we pray for God to help us to explain it clearly to you. But, you know, there's also Bible studies. And part of what's so special about Bible studies is being able to meet with people that maybe you know well, that are maybe at a similar level to you. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes they're at a similar level to you. And you can ask questions, you can chat it through, you can apply it more specifically to your life. You know, if you're not in a Bible study, I'd recommend it. It's been so encouraging recently to hear of a good number of different people who have come away from Bible studies and have just been thrilled at what they've been learning and thrilled that they've understood it. And then in verse 13, we see those involved in leading families and groups come to study the word again. This isn't everyone this time, just those leaders. And if you're a leader of some kind, it might be a leader of a family, might be a leader of a group, you need to be studying God's word so that you can teach it to those that you lead. So that those who you teach can then obey God rightly. You know, one of the best things about leading others is it forces you to dig deeper into God's word. And the deeper you dig the more rewarding it is. Some of you have been to things like Sussex Gospel Partnership training course. It's been so helpful for many. I I found it really helpful. I'd recommend it. Others of you have been on other courses. I recommend them. Good Bible teaching courses that help you understand the picture of what God is saying. It's amazing. that, As I say, the more you dig into it, the more rewarding it is. The scriptures are what God uses, he tells us, for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We need to be reading the scriptures. We need to be studying God's word so we know what he's telling us. So we've seen listening to God. We now see them reacting to what God says. Reacting to what God says. And the first thing they do is cry. See this in verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor... And Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They cry, they mourn, they weep. In fact, in verse 11 it says they had to calm the people down. 
They're obviously so distressed by what they've heard, they're in a right state. Why? Because they understand that they've not been living the way that God wants them to. As they hear God's commands being read out, they realize they're guilty, they're guilty, they're guilty. They realize they've broken God's laws. They haven't been living God's way. The way they've been living and what God commands are two very different things. And yet because their heart is tender, because their heart is receptive, they're broken by this. And this is a good and it's a right reaction. They should be upset. You know, we're no different to these people. You know, when we look at God's commands, we fall so far short. We too have not lived in the way we should have done. We're all guilty, every single one of us. Does it upset you? Is your heart soft enough to understand that it grieves God as you continue to live in a way that pushes against him? I hope it does. It should do. I pray that your heart isn't so hard that you just don't care. These people cried because they understood just how far short of God's rules they had fallen. But they don't stay crying. They don't stay crying. Did you hear what Nehemiah and the others that taught them said? This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. You know, we need to be convicted of our sin. We need to be made to feel sad for it. We need to know we've failed. But that's not where God wants us to stay. This is what it says in verse 10 and 12. Well, I'm not going to read it yet, actually, but we see joy. Joy. They understand that God is a God who delights to forgive, who delights in mercy. And here in the, the seventh month, we don't see it in the passage, but we know from elsewhere, they're just about to get to the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the priest would make sacrifices for the people's sins so that it would be a reset. It would cleanse them. They're forgiven. And the people could rejoice in the forgiveness and the goodness of God again. And did you notice when Martin read it, they eat good food, they drink sweet wine, they share it with anyone that hasn't got any, so that every single person there can celebrate and rejoice and enjoy the goodness of God together. When we confess our sins before God because of Jesus, it's like they're cast into the depths of the sea, never to be seen again. Do you remember what Sai was saying last week, if you were here? He said he was sat in this building... And for the first time, he was feeling guilty. And yet he understood that by confessing his sin, he could be forgiven. And he did just that. And do you remember what he said as he walked down the car park? He said he had the biggest smile on his face. Because he realized that he was forgiven. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. This week, I've been thinking just briefly about uh, King David. Do you remember what he says about his guilt? He says, it, was, it, was, it crushed me like, like the heat of summer. We know what that's like, maybe even today. But you know what it's been like this week, when you're so hot, you just have no energy. And David's like that with his feeling of guilt. It's just no energy. He's crushed. But joy in the Lord does the opposite. When we have joy in the Lord because of what he's done for us, it strengthens us, it motivates us, it re-energizes us, it keeps us strong in Jesus. If you want to be strong as a Christian, you need to have joy. Joy in what God has done for you. Now, it is important to say that doesn't mean you never think about your sin. In fact, in the very next chapter after this, we see them thinking a lot about their sin and confessing it to God. But they have joy because of who God is and what he's done. And then finally, obeying what God says. Obeying what God says. This is verses 14 to 18. As they study, as they read God's word, they come across something that they realize they haven't been doing. It's called the, the Feast of Booths. They have been celebrating it in some way, but what they were meant to be doing is living in these sort of booths, these sort of temporary shelters, and they haven't been doing that. And before I say just a couple of very brief things about that, that feast, I just want us to notice first 
and simply that they obeyed. See what it says? They found it written in the law, verse 16, so the people went out and did it. They found it written in the law, so the people went out and did it. God's word says this, so they did it. Does that characterize how we listen to God's word? God's word says this, so we do it. So easy for us, isn't it? Those of us who have been in church maybe a long time, we hear stories and we think, oh, we know this one. And maybe we switch off. But the question is, are we doing it? Are we doing what it teaches us? If not, we need to keep on hearing it. Our lives should be changing as we hear God's word. It should be adapting as we hear what God teaches and commands. But just very briefly, what was the Feast of Booths all about? Well, very simply, what they would do is they would build shelters or booths on top of their roofs or in the streets if they didn't live there. And so there'd be all these temporary shelters popping up all over Jerusalem, all over the place. And it was to remind them of when they'd been freed from slavery in Egypt. And when they were on their way to the promised land, they had to live in temporary shelters. So it was like a throwback to that time of remembering. I wasn't planning to say this actually, but it reminds me of YPs a couple of years ago when we camped down in the field. And it, we had that powerful nostalgia feeling of like, this is like camp. And it's a little bit like that. That these people are meant to do, uh, build these booths and these shelters. And as they're in them, they're meant to look back and think, yeah, remember the time when God saved us from slavery and he freed us and brought us to the promised land. Now, of course, these people could also celebrate freedom from exile in Babylon. So they had two things to be thankful for. And that's why there's so much rejoicing. They're remembering what God has done, how God's freed them. He's brought them back to his home country. Well, today we have something even better, don't we? We don't have to go out and build booths. We don't really remember uh, getting out of Egypt. We don't really remember uh, exile from Babylon or back from Babylon. But if we're Christians today, as we read God's word, we remember that he's freed us from spiritual slavery. We remember that he's conquered spiritual death. That should give us deep joy and happiness. That should make us rejoice. You know, God's word shows us better than anything else how to be happy, how to be content, how to be satisfied. We might not believe it sometimes, but it does. Whatever life throws at us, God's word teaches us how to be satisfied. You know, these people loved listening to God. They just couldn't get enough of it. They were insatiable. It talks about every day during this feast, they came together to hear the word of God. Every day. You know, we have so many more resources, don't we, than they had back then. And in fact, around the world, we have so many resources, so many Bible apps, so many Bibles in our houses, probably many of us. Do we read them? I want to uh, finish with a a story that I was challenged by a couple of weeks ago. There's an American pastor that tells of his visit to China. And uh, he visited 22 church leaders of the underground church over there. And as he taught them, uh, all 22 of them were sat on a hard wooden floor. And he asked them, he said, if we get caught doing this, what, what happens and they said, well, if, if you get caught, you'll get deported within 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. He said, how many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22 of them, 18 raised their hands. They had 15 Bibles, so they passed them around. And obviously, seven, to, uh, seven of them didn't get them. And the American pastor, he said, okay, turn to 2 Peter 1. And as soon as he said that, one of the ladies who had a Bible gave it to someone who didn't. She had memorized the whole chapter. And in a, a break, the American caught up with her and said, have you memorized that? And she said, oh yes, she said, I've memorized many chapters. There's much time in prison. Now in prison, Bibles would get confiscated. They weren't allowed. So people, when they came in, would smuggle scriptures in on bits of paper. And they had to memorize them as quick as they could before they too got confiscated. 
And so people, these people remembered huge chunks of, of the Bible. When the three days were finished, the American pastor, as he was about to leave, he said, look, what can I pray for you as I, I go back? They said, look, you guys in America can gather whenever you want. Please pray that we'll be just like you. The American looked at them and he said, I will not do that. And they looked at him in surprise. What? And he said this. He said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people had to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You not only sat here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family, and we don't really read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. He said, I will not pray that you become like us, but I will pray that we become like you. That's my prayer for us as a church, that we'll become like them, that we'll become like the people of Nehemiah 8, desperate to hear, hungry to hear what God's got to say to us, and eager to obey his commands, and joyful because of him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for when we've treated it so lightly, for when we don't read it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to delight in it. And yet as we read it, Lord, we realize just how far short we fall. We realize just how holy and awesome you are. And so, Lord, we come with sadness and repentance before you. And yet, Lord, we also come with rejoicing because as we read your word, in fact, even as you gave your law to Moses in Exodus 34, we see that you are a merciful God, a forgiving God. And we rejoice in that. And Lord, I pray that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. So Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And we pray that we'd treasure it in the week and the months ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our final song this morning. How pleased and blessed was I to hear the people cry, come let us seek our God today. Let's stand and sing when the music starts.
afraid to close. Lord God, we pray that we would always love you well. And Lord, I thank you for your word that you've spoken to us this morning. Lord, do be, be with us as we go away from this place. Keep us safe until we meet again, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.